Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We are continuing in our series we're calling Alter Ego, A-L-T-A-R, and it's all about surrender. It is surrendering um, those uh, labels, those false labels, um, those expectations that other people put on you or maybe that you have put on yourself and, and surrendering those things, giving that all over to God and discovering what he says about us and becoming who he intended us to be. And it's all about this idea of surrender. And uh, today we're going to be talking about surrendering my bad habits. And we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture. It's actually from Paul's uh, letter to the Roman church. And it may be a passage that you may not have ever read this and thought, that's in the Bible? And it is. So if you want to turn there, it's in uh, Romans chapter 7. And it's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this church. And he writes about his own experiences. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who does, who does it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in, in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Show of hands. Is there anybody here that can relate at all, even a little bit to that passage at all? <laughs> I think we all can, because we all have these habits, these hang-ups, these um, compulsions, maybe addictions, whatever it might be. We all have these things that we say to us, why do I do that? I don't want to do that. I know I shouldn't do it. And, and, and every time I do it, I feel bad because I know I shouldn't have done it, but I keep doing it. And, and the things that I know I really want to do, I find that I don't do those things. Why is that? Well, Paul says there's a reason behind that. And that's what we're going to look at today. And it has to do with this idea of surrender. And actually, it's a, we're going to look at a much larger passage of Scripture, all the way from uh, chapter 6, all the way through chapter 8. But we're focusing right here on 7. Um, and we've got a lot of material to cover. I'm going to try and simplify it as much as I can. Because really, what it comes down to is this whole idea of surrender. Paul says, he, he says, I'm a, what a wretched man I am. So we know for him, it was not any small thing. It was a big thing in his life. And he learned some things. And because of his transparency and his willingness to admit his own struggles, I think there gives us a greater freedom to admit our own and find some ways to get past all this. And by the way, if you are in recovery or if you're familiar at all with the 12 steps of recovery, this is going to sound really, really familiar to you because the 12 steps of, of recovery programs was about 70 years ago, a guy named Bill W. took these biblical principles and these biblical ideas and put them into layman's terms for people who maybe not even be God followers or Christ followers, but the principles are still the same and they are true. Because they're based in God's word. So how do you overcome 
those bad habits in your own life. Paul says the very first thing to do is to admit I have a problem. That is always the first step. You got to be able to admit I've got a problem. See, the problem with that is that we have this great capacity to excuse ourselves or to explain ourselves, or to minimize our sin or our struggles. And we have all kinds of different reasons. We say, well, you don't know the pressure that I'm under, or it's not that big of a deal. I can quit anytime I want. Or, yeah, I struggle, but it only comes up every once in a while. Most of the time, I do okay. And we have all these ways of rationalizing our own thoughts and our own behavior. One of my favorite book titles, I've talked about this before. It's still my favorite book title. The title of the book is, Yes, Lord, I Have Sinned but I have several excellent excuses. (laughs) And that pretty much describes our mentality. Yeah, I got a problem, but there's a lot of reasons for that. Moses, no, the first thing you got to do is just outright admit, I've got a problem. Now, I think here is one of the advantages, if you will, for those who are in recovery programs, because they've got to the point where it got so unmanageable and so overwhelming to them, they finally had to admit, I got a problem. I think for those of us who don't struggle with those big addictions, we look at that and say, well, I don't have that problem, and I don't have that problem, and that's not, so I, you know, I've got no problems. We all have them. And the first step is always going to be to admit it. That's what Paul does. He chooses to be very, very open and transparent. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, what's really interesting about this is if you read the commentaries and the scholars and all those who write on this, they're all kind of, there's this debate on who is Paul writing about? Who who is he describing? What is he doing? He must be doing some general, you know, generic thing. No, he's writing about himself. (laughs) He's writing about himself. He doesn't tell us what his struggle was, and I think that's a good thing. Because if we just identified one struggle, we say, well, I don't have that problem. But the truth is, we all have a problem. And he keeps it vague enough and general enough that we can all identify with it because we all have those feelings. We all have those kinds of things. And he says, you got to be able to admit, I've got a problem. It's the first step. And if you think about it, it is actually a step of surrender. It's waving the white flag saying, this is beyond me. I've got this problem. Dr. Paul Meyer, who uh, founded the Minerth Meyer Clinics, he's a, a Christian psychologist, psychiatrist, and um, he's written a number of books um, and just talking about the neuroses and things that we, we deal with, and particularly from a Christian perspective, how to overcome them. One of the things he writes is, he says, most people are unaware of 80% of their faults because <laughs> we have this incredible ability to deny. I mean, think about this. Ever been in a situation where someone around you has had way too much to drink? Anybody ever experienced? None of you people would, okay? But let me ask you this question. If you're ever in that situation, someone has had way too much to drink, and they've become loud and obnoxious and making a total fool of themselves, singing karaoke off-key and making everybody around them miserable, who is the last person in the room to realize there's a problem? The one who's causing the problem. Because we've got this ability to deny Paul says, you got to just come up first off. He says, I got a problem. I've got this struggle. And that is always the first step. The first step, my life has become unmanageable. And the second part of that is I need to acknowledge my own inadequacy. My life has become unmanageable, and I am powerless to change it. Paul says, the reason for that is that the problem lies within me. 
See, that's why I can't change it, because it's me. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. He says, there's your problem. (laughs) You're unspiritual. I'm unspiritual. Now, again, you will never be able to deal with that habit unless you're willing to say the truth about yourself. Unless you're willing to admit the reality about yourself, you are unspiritual. I am unspiritual. And I'm going to help you with that this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them, you are unspiritual. Okay? Just let the person next to you know. You don't have to tell everybody. Just one person is fine. (laughs) Now, actually, Paul says, it's more than that. It's not that I'm unspiritual. He says, what a wretched man I am. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, no, I'm not do that one. But if somebody asks you where you were today, you can say, you know, I went to the church with the most unspiritual, ungodly, wretched people that I know, okay? Because <laughs> we're all in the same boat. We've got, we all have these problems, and we are powerless. We are inadequate to be able to do something about it. The problem, Paul says, is this thing called my sin nature. He says, as it is, it is no longer my, I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. Now, Paul is not schizophrenic. He's not bipolar. What he's simply saying is there is this war that goes on in me. There is this thing called my sin nature. And it, and it hijacks me all too often. It's something down deep within and it's a part of me. Have you ever been around somebody who like just totally explodes, just blows up and just goes off the handle and you say, wow, what got into you? You know, or maybe, maybe you're two-year-old or you've been babysitting your two-year-old grandchild, you know, and they just throw this incredible temper tantrum like, whoa, what got into him? Paul says, I know. <laughs> it's something that's in every one of us. It's called our sin nature. And it's in every one of us. It is even in two-year-olds. It is especially in two-year-olds. <laughs> it, it, it's part of who we are. And it goes all the way back to the creation story because of the sin of Adam. That's what he, he develops. As he talks a lot about this in chapter 6. He says, because of Adam's sin, in Adam all sinned. We, have all, we all now take part of this sin nature. It is in every one of us. Now you might say, well, that's not fair. How come I'm suffering because of Adam's sin? How come I... It's not fair. No, it's not. But it's true. <laughs> it doesn't have to be fair to be true. And think about it this way. Have you ever filled out a, a, a job application or, or maybe had to do something uh, um, uh, medically and they want to know your medical history? And a lot of the questions you get are not just about your own medical history, but do these things run in your family? Does your family have a problem? Does a heart problem run in your family? Does high cholesterol run in your family? Does cancer run in your family? Why do they ask that question? Because they know that these things can be handed down from generation to generation, kind of genetically passed on. It's not fair, but it's true. And if this runs in your family, there's a chance that you have a predisposition to it. What Paul is saying is there is this spiritual DNA about us, then it runs in our family. And it's that we are unspiritual. There is this sin nature. And until we're willing to admit that, we will never make any progress in overcoming our bad habits. So we need someone outside of ourselves. Because the problem's within. So we can't fix it by ourselves. We need someone from the outside. 
Someone who will gently and lovingly point out to us the reality about ourselves. And someone who will patiently guide us through the process of change and renewal. And that's why Paul goes on. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying someone has done something about it. Now in 12 Steps program, talk about coming to believe in a power that is higher than myself that can rescue me. What Paul is saying is it's not some ethereal force of nature it is not some far-off supreme being. It is a man, God become a man, the person of Jesus Christ, who identified with us in our sin, though he had no sin of his own. And when he went to the cross, what he did was he paid a penalty and took on the punishment and took on the pain that my sin creates and my sin deserves. But he didn't just do that about my past. What he did was come to give me a new life. Because he died on the cross, but he rose to a new life. And now I come to the point where if I realize, okay, I admit I've got a problem, and I acknowledge that I can't change it, now I'm ready for the real step of change. And it is this. I come to rely on God's power. I put my faith and my trust in him to free me. Step three says we've turned our will and our lives over to the care of God. It's about surrender. I put my ego on the altar. I admit I cannot fix this. I need someone to fix it for me. And I entrust my will and my life into the care of God. Paul put it this way. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, grace doesn't just give us forgiveness of our past. It gives us a new life here and now. And it doesn't just secure our destiny in eternity. It gives us a new identity here and now. Now we are in Christ. And in the same way that Christ went to the cross and died a death, so my sin died with him. My past sin, my present sin, my future sin, my propensity to sin, the sin nature within me, it all got taken care of on the cross. Now I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because it's the same thing that I think. But the old nature's still around. <laughs> There's still a whole lot left of me that's, that, that, that still goes that direction. And what Paul is saying is, yes, that's true. But the ultimate has been taken care of. Now you have a chance to choose differently. You have been given a new life. Sin is no longer your master. He said, that old life died. It died on the cross. And now you have been given a new life. Well, how come it keeps putting up a fight? Well, it doesn't die easy. But it's been taken care of. What he's saying is that now, now you have the opportunity and the power to choose differently. Your old sin nature took over, and that's just what you did, and you had no choice. But now, because of Christ, you can choose differently because he says, sin is no longer your master. You're dead to sin. So here's something. This is what I want you to take away. If you take away nothing else, take away this sentence. Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Because when you struggle and when you are tempted and when that thing comes along and you go, oh, not again, I don't want to do this, I don't want... 
in that moment, just remind yourself, sin is not my master. I have a new master now. And he has set me free from that old master of my sin. You will still struggle. You may even still stumble. But what you do in that moment is right away you run to grace. You confess that you've fallen. You're determined by God's strength to make better choices next time. And you remind yourself, sin is not my master. The message paraphrase puts it this way. Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin miserable life. Now the temptation to sin is still powerfully strong. But now you have the choice. And what you really kind of got to decide is. On which side am I going to choose? Because there is the old sin nature. And that's the old way that I used to handle this kind of stuff. And that always leads to death. But now I can choose something different. And as long as you keep making the choices that are consistent with your old nature, you will never overcome this. But now you've been given the chance to do something different. Sin is no longer my master. Christ is my master. I have put my faith and my trust into him. And I can choose differently. And that's what he's saying. In giving us freedom, God doesn't take away our ability to choose What he does is actually enhance our power to choose. I can remember as a teenager really struggling with something. I just, I, it, just, it just seemed like it just had mastery over me. I, just, I don't like living this way. I don't like when I do that. I feel bad after I've done it. I just, and, I, and I remember praying and just praying, God, would you take this away from me? Would you just please just you know, stop this? Give me the strength. Help me. I don't want to do this anymore. Would you just please take it away? And I kept waiting for this big, you know, with the lights to come on and this big burden and weight come lifted off my shoulders and it would all be, I would never be tempted by that again. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What he gives us is the power to choose differently. And that's what this new life is all about. And, and every time that you may stumble or struggle with it, what you've got is the chance to keep coming back to grace. Because when you're able to admit that you've got a problem and to acknowledge that you don't have the power to overcome it, once you're able to do that, now you're able to hear what God has to say. And this is what he has to say. Paul goes on, Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now you've been set free. And even if you struggle, even if you stumble, even if you fail, he says there is no condemnation. There is a new freedom for you. And each time, even when you fail, you run to grace. Each time you're willing to confess your need and your weakness. Every time you do that, what happens is over a period of time, little by little, even moment by moment, that old life starts to die away and the new life starts to take over. And it's just a constant reminder. Sin is no longer my master. I have the power to make a choice and choose differently. And and by the way, even when you struggle, the point that it bothers you is indication that God is at work in your life. Because if God wasn't at work in your life, it really wouldn't bother you. 
It wouldn't be that big a deal. The reason that it bothers you is because God is working in your life and His Spirit is reminding you, this is not the kind of life you were meant to live. This is something to give up. This is something to lay on the altar of grace. God will make the changes from the inside out. Little by little, day by day. He ends up with these words. So if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Saying God has begun a work in you. He has forgiven your past. He has restored you and given you a new life. Will he not finish that work in you? The price that he paid on the cross for you to give you that forgiveness and freedom, will he not keep working that forgiveness and freedom in your life? Will he not graciously give us all things? Little by little, moment by moment, constant reminder, sin is not my master. I have a new master and he has set me free. Bow your heads with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.